Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Miguel Armasa, and I'm an MBA candidate at the Wharton School and an MBA candidate at the Lauder Institute at the University of Pennsylvania. Our guests today are Pedro Conrade and Marcelo Haddad from Neon Bank. Pedro is the CEO and founder of Neon, one of Brazil's top and fastest growing challenger banks. Founded in 2016, Neon today has grown to over 3 million clients with over 600 employees across Brazil, offering a wide range of full digital banking products. Marcelo is a group product manager at Neon. He is also an MBA graduate from the Wharton School and a graduate from the Lauder Institute at the University of Pennsylvania. Hi, Pedro and Marcelo. Thank you for joining us. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background? Hi, Miguel. Hi, uh, Wharton community. Uh, thank you for, for the invitation. Uh, my name is Marcelo. I'm from Brazil, although I've, I grew up pretty much all over the world because uh, predominantly of my dad's job, we were expats going from Mexico to Europe, uh, Japan, ended up going to college in the U.S. I studied uh, aerospace engineering and came back to Brazil to work at Embraer, uh, one of the biggest commercial aircraft manufacturers in the world. Uh, then I realized I wanted to get my MBA, no better place to go than Wharton, and I ended up doing the lotto program, which I thought was a great fit for me. And ever since I graduated from lotto, I've been working with uh, strategic planning in different kinds of industries and ended up uh, partnering up here with Pedro to work at uh, Neon, and I'm really excited to be part of this up-and-coming industry in Brazil. We're going through a huge uh, techno uh, technological breakthrough in terms of and habits in, in terms of how people interact with financial institutions in Brazil. And it's been a very exciting journey so far. Hi, I'm Pedro. Introducing myself after myself is really hard. I'm 27 years old, so I have like such huge background as, as Marcelo. But uh, so I started a business here in Sao Paulo in a, a, a FGV and I uh, had to drop off uh, from college when Neon started to really like grow and uh, business started to become more complex. Uh, now I'm CEO and founder of Neon. The company started four years ago. Actually, I started this from a, really, like, from a customer perspective, really thinking about delivering a best uh, user experience, uh, like pricing to people like me and my friends and know that uh, we're tired of uh, the relationship we had with the incumbents. So uh, my first business was bikini shop when I was 16. Then I had two other tech companies uh, before Neon, and then four years ago I started Neon. So that's that's it. Fantastic, fantastic. Thank you for joining us. So Pedro, you mentioned that you wanted to focus on the user experience. Can you tell us a little, a little bit more about your motivation on? Why did you decide to launch Neon? Were you unsatisfied with the existing products? Okay, sure. So actually, I, I don't know anyone in Brazil that four years ago would tell me I love my bank. Like actually, I only I was only uh, able to find people uh, complaining about their relationship, the the price of the service, the best customer service, and and I was one of these customers too, right? So. One day, one of the big banks that I used to have an account there, they charged me 46 reais because I used one real of my overdraft. So I was like, what? Like 46 
for one plus 18% a month. So it, like, I was really upset about this. And then I went to the bank branch and I spoke to my manager. And then uh, she said, like, you should have a look at the contract. And then I, I looked at the contract and it's like uh, impossible, like small letters to read. Like, and, and so the, the whole situation was a mess. And then I realized that I was paying a minimum salary a year in banking fees. And actually at that time, I was making the minimum salary a month. So it was super expensive to, uh, to, to keep my digital account, my, my checking account in a traditional bank. So customer service was bad. The, the application was terrible. It was super expensive. So I realized it was a, a great opportunity market uh, for a company as Neon to, to start. And I saw some benchmarks in the U.S. And, uh, uh, at that time. Actually, there was a company called Simple uh, that, was, that was acquired by BBVA like, uh, a couple of years ago. And then, so Simple was the first benchmark uh, for Neon Idea. And then I said, like, I'm going to build this a new way of uh, managing uh, the money, a new way of uh, a new relate, new way to manage the relationship with the financial institution. And then that's where Neon started. It really started from a consumer, uh, a client perspective. Uh, I'm not a banker, and so we always think about what would be nice to have in the customer perspective. Then how we can uh, make this become a feature and how this feature become a product, and how we can make money with it. So that's the, the way we think about it. That's very interesting. And can you tell us about the initial days of building the product and starting to scale? Sure. I think something fun from the beginning is that uh, if I had the idea how complex it is to build a digital bank, I think I'd, I would never start it. Because it's like, it's so complex. Like, so many things to think. It's, it's like... It's a really long-term business, and you're going to face a lot of challenges, like technology, regulatory, and other stuff. But luckily, I had no idea about the size of the challenge, so I started. So, like, we started from the, from the checking account, right, the digital account. It's a transactional business. It doesn't require us a risk management team or understanding about financial products. So... Um, basically, we started like from, from the basic digital account, where it's like a peer-to-peer, a deposit, a debit card. So it was a prepaid connected to a, to an application, where every time you use a car, your card, you receive a push notification telling you how much money you you have, how much money uh, you spend that day. So it was like a really simple product. Over time, we realized that it was important for us to develop in the top of the digital account uh, several other products in order to increase or Stickness of the stickness of the product with our customers, and, and so so they would feel comfortable about replacing their primary relationship uh, for a digital bank. But 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 that really beginning was all about a transactional business uh, with a better UX. That's how we started. That's uh, that's very nice. In fact, this weekend I was sitting down with a friend from Brazil, and he was showing me all the features of products of a Neon account, which he has one. And I was impressed with the variety. How do you decide where to expand and um, where to look forward? Sure. Uh, hi, Miguel. First of all, I think uh, speaking on the product side, we always uh, take a look at different factors when deciding where to expand. So first and foremost, uh, we are constantly doing surveys to understand what our customer needs are. So we always take into account exactly what their pains are with their current uh, financial institution and what we can do to address those needs. Uh, second, 
we obviously look at uh, profitability. So is this product something that's uh, going to offer Neon you know, stable growth in the long term? And finally, uh, ease of uh, implementation. You know, is this something we, we have the capability to do so? If not, can we stagger our, our launch into different phases and introduce this feature by uh, baby steps? And we've been able to uh, segment our uh, product team into different areas of focus so that we don't compete with the same resources. And we put in place all the mechanisms to be able to prioritize our uh, business development. And like it or not, we have a lot of uh, things that we have to abandon, and that's a part of growth. We have to, by trial and error, prioritize which items make more sense for us uh, to keep, which ones we need to abandon, and as much as we can, use data to you know, back our decisions. Got it. Got it. Now, this must be both exhilarating and challenging, given that you're growing at such a fast pace. How, how would you describe that? We must get used to the like growth pace, you know? Like, this is something that we're facing since the beginning. Like, we've been growing, like, double digits every month. So you need to think about the, the company, the organization, uh, in a way that will support, like, six-month business plan, right? That the company will change completely. So in terms of product development, at the beginning, we're really, like, so one thing important to say about digital banks is that you, have, you need to invest a lot of money, uh, a lot of resources, a lot of time to, uh, in order to have, like, a minimum platform to become competitive, right? So no one in Brazil, no one will replace their primary relationship with the bank if you don't offer, like, peer-to-peer debit card, deposit, ATM withdrawal, savings account, a credit card, and sometimes personal loan. So you need like a, this, like the minimum product too. Otherwise, people won't be able to replace because they are used to use this product in the incumbent account. So, so we have to invest a lot of a lot of time. And so at the beginning, we're like timing to launch new products was was a big concern for us. Like we need to launch and, and be able to have like uh, this minimal uh, platform uh, in place. But now we see in a different way. So we already have it. So now it's time in the top of the, the product that we already have to launch unique features, things that competitively they don't have. But it's really hard to understand the way which feature we should launch. And there's no right answer, right? So it's about testing. So the way we think about it, like we need to like do a lot, as Marcelo said, a lot of surveys, trying to understand customer needs, understanding how we can like make this become a product. And then the only answer we have like is by testing it this with the customer base and see what their feedback, right, the numbers. So sometimes we we fail, sometimes we we do great things. So that's that's the way it works. Got it, got it. And uh, I'm curious, who would you say? Is your your client? Who are your clients? And is this the same client that Neon started with? Yes. So I think this is another fun story. Like I could tell you that at the beginning, when I started Neon, I hired like a, a great consulting company, and then we did like strategic planning and have like a really uh, well designed uh, target. But definitely was not this the way it happened. We first thought about the product, we launched it. And then we start to see 
uh, who was using it. So it was uh, the other way around. But actually, like two years ago, we realized like we had enough data to understand who was using our service, and we could actually make a definition for the whole company about who's our target. So the answer to your question is yes, the target is the same, but it's the same because we waited to see who's going to use, and then now we're now by defining this, our product roadmap is to uh, improve the offer for this specific target. And Miguel, unlike other uh, fintech, we uh, offer a checking account without credit for clients that do not have a good credit scoring. So in that sense, we were able to admit a lot more potential clients than some of our competitors, meaning that we are able to grow our base at a faster pace because we don't require any of our clients to have you know, good credit scores. On the other hand, we're not always talking about, you know, top of the pyramid uh, clients, which is not necessarily a bad thing if we are able to identify what these particular clients' needs are and suit our product offering accordingly. Very interesting. And and what about some of the challenges that you, you face or, or that you have faced? What would you say are, are your main challenges? Well, I think like any other fast-growing company, People is always a big challenge. You have to have the right resources with you to be able to help you make the right decisions and develop the right products and go in the right direction. And unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, we're, in, we're immersed in an industry that's growing very fast. So the uh, competition to get the best talent is also very fierce. So this leads to potentially turnovers in some of our most uh, demanding areas like technology, for example, meaning that we don't always have the right resources at the right time for us to have the technology in place to grow at the rhythm that we would like to. So I think people is is probably the biggest challenge, which uh, leads us to our second biggest challenge, which is technology. Uh, As we grow, we have to have the right systems in place to be able to accommodate increasing volumes of information. We need to have the right safety mechanisms to make sure that our clients have the best possible mechanisms in place to ensure that their transactions are safe. We have to be in par or even beyond what regulatory standards require us to do. So I would say those would be the biggest challenges. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, one thing is important to, to say, like, let's think that uh, delivery app, like the delivery pizza, for example, they come in a mistake and they delay your uh, pizza for 30 minutes or for any reason they deliver your pizza in the wrong address, right? You're going to be like pissed off, like, what the fuck? I, like, but like nothing really bad is going to happen, right? But imagine if the same thing happened with your, with your money, right, with your account. So the margin for uh, committing mistakes in just a bank are really uh, small. So we can never be comfortable with the level of service we have. We always need to improve. And who is going to improve this is people, right? So we need the best talent on our our charge in order to have the best um, people to solve the problems they're going to face. So so that's it. Like it's good people, process in place in order to offer the best, reliable, best experience for our customers. And, and given the importance of the regulatory environment, 
Do you have a a close relationship with the regulator? So we do. The way it works in Brazil, we have like a couple of different uh, levels of licensing in the in the financial uh, system. And so if you're into the central bank nowadays, we are a payment institution. So we are able to offer payment methods as debit card, credit cards. There are a couple of things that we're not allowed to do. For example, we cannot book a credit in our own balance sheet. Uh, we can issue a credit card, but we cannot hold the, the revolving credit portfolio in our own balance sheet. And also we cannot hold deposit and leverage, right? We cannot, so basically we work as a trans, transactional business, not as a bank institution, like by getting money from a client and, uh, and lending the other side. But the way it works here in Brazil is like, you can start without being, without a license until you reach a minimal amount of a trans, a amount of transactions that we reached at least a year ago, more, more than a year ago. And then when when you like when you reach this specific target, the number of transactions you need to apply for a license and wait the central bank to give you this license. So during this process, we've been close to the central bank. Uh, asked like it's, it's important to have this relationship over time. They are super supportive with fintech in the industry. They are like really enhancing uh, competition in the country. So yes, we do have a relationship with them, but we still don't have our own license. But we're really close to have it. So yeah. Got it. Got it. Now I wanted to talk a little bit about how you envision Neon's future. For example, a couple months ago, late last year, you announced an acquisition of May Facil. A, another startup, which was impressive for, for a young company like Neon. Perhaps you can tell us a little bit about that decision and talk about the future of Neon. So like it's, when you have so many opportunities, it's hard to, to really understand where it will be like in five years. But in general, like, like um, what we see is that, so, so, so my opinion, right? I, I see that the market is really concentrated, like, 85% of all deposits and 85% of all the credit portfolio it, uh, belongs to the five big banks. So the way I see the market in 10 or five years, whatever uh, number of years, uh, is instead of having five big banks, you're going to have like uh, 10, like 15 big institutions uh, offering like a full service platform, like offering like a complete suite of financial products. Each of them will, will have a specific product that will be their hook, but after uh, capturing their, their clients through this hook, they will cross-sell the standard product uh, that they all are going to have. The way we see ourselves, we're gonna, we will be one of these big institutions, and we want to be relevant not only in the consumer side, but also in the uh, small business side. We know that it's a huge challenge to build both platforms with both targets at the same time, and that's why we acquired uh, someone that was doing great in the other side, like in the, in the, that's is one business, business side uh, that was uh, made faster. So there's a lot of opportunity. The most important thing for us, as uh, we discussed uh, uh, before, is people. This team from Made Faster was amazing. Uh, they really understand the small business uh, needs. So it was really complementary or financial products offering together with their customer base, uh, with their uh, uh, customer base, and uh, the relationship they were able to create uh, with their base. Too. Great. Yeah, certainly an impressive move 
by Neon and, and impressive union. How about uh, your view and your thoughts on the current state of the fintech market, both in Brazil and, and the region? It seems like fintech entrepreneurship is leading the way. What's your take on this? So this, I'm glad that you asked this. So every day I receive like a WhatsApp message telling me that a new digital bank is, has started or like a new fintech uh, like just pop up. The way I see this is I see this with really good eyes. First of all, I think as a consumer, and I want to have options. If you have competition, you have better companies. If you have better companies, everyone is happy. But on the other hand, a lot of people think that it's uh, super easy to, to launch uh, fintech. And actually, they forget they are managing people's money. And uh, money pays for their food, for their education, for the uh, host, uh, health expenses. So all of this. So we have like a huge uh, accountability over uh, this customer's lives. So I think it happens uh, in like different, it already happened in, with different background waves of specific companies uh, starting, but after a year, just a few of them remain. I think it will happen the same. We can see that some players are finding their uh, room in the market, getting their market share, position themselves as a, a winner. Capital is really important, having the right uh, investors, uh, growing a fast pace, acquiring market while it's easier than in the future, bringing the best talent, but everyone's fighting uh, for the best talent. So I think we'll see that most, a lot of these companies won't be able to get there. A lot of consolidation might happen. We, as we did with Mayfasio, we think M&A in a really strategic way for the next couple of years. But, but again, this is also always good for uh, consumers. That they get the benefit of a competition. And just to add on that, we see a lot of up-and-coming competitors that are simply payment channels with uh, excessive rebates, just pretty much burning cash to acquire a huge customer base. And sometimes I ask myself, you know, what other products are they going to launch? What other value-added uh, activities are they going to introduce to the platform to be able to sustain this business. So I have my doubts regarding the sustainability of some of these competitors. But like Pedro said, uh, it's, a, it's healthy for the industry as a whole. The more options you have, the happier the customers are, and the more we try to uh, increase the quality of what we do to be able to stay on top. That actually ties in to uh, what was going to be my next question, which is we have a lot of listeners on this podcast who are either aspiring entrepreneurs or who are considering joining growing startups, both in fintech and in other industries. Can you uh, share some lessons for this listen the listeners that are considering going into entrepreneurship? Go for it. <laughs> I think... I don't know, actually. I'm really young. I'm learning a lot of stuff. I think it's important for people to understand that uh, it's, a, it's not a job. It's like a lifestyle, a different lifestyle. I wake up and uh, go to bed uh, thinking about uh, work. And specifically in fintech, you're, as I mentioned a few times, is you're managing people's money. And uh, this is really a big, big thing. So it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we're talking about millions and millions of, uh, of clients, like one minute uh, can change everything. So like, I was not 
really prepared. I see a lot of uh, founders much more prepared to start. Like they have a huge knowledge about financial financial industry and other stuff. So I think like be ready for a lot of different uh, problems that you're gonna face. Find the best investors. This is really important. Find the best team. That's the only way that things uh, can work. And another thing is that Marcelo mentioned something really important. Uh, the yin economics must stand, right? Like I think after some companies, this model of growing, 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 growing without monetization and never see when the company is going to become a profitable company. Uh, there's like small room for this kind of company, uh, I think nowadays. So even though sometimes you cannot start with a positive in economics, you, have, you must have a, like a really uh, a clear vision, what do you want to get and how far is it? So you don't have to rely always on the fundraising process for, that, for the last of the, of the company's life. Yeah, so that's uh, some of my advice. But but I don't feel really comfortable about giving advice. Like, we're just at the beginning. A lot of things are learning. So, yeah. And just to add on that, I'm not going to speak on behalf of myself because this is the first time I work in, uh, in a fast-growing company. But I can speak on behalf of my observations of Pedro. And I just listed down three traits that I see in him that I think are important for the uh, longevity and the success of any startup. And first of all, I think courage. Like he said, go for it. I think that if you spend too much time uh, thinking about the uh, pros and cons, you're going to end up uh, reaching the conclusion that it's not worth it. And I think that most entrepreneurs, they trusted their instinct and their guts when they had to make a decision. Second of all, resilience. I think uh, even before I joined Neon, the company went through very high highs and very low lows. and the team was able to withstand uh, those moments and carry forward. And I think that was an essential trait. I think there were a lot lot of opportunities for Peter to say, you know what, forget it. I'm not going to do this. But he stood his ground and, and he kept going. And third of all, humility. I think uh, none is, re- is reaching a stage where we have very complex situations, very intricate relationships with other institutions, with the government. And there comes a point where you have to recognize that you need somebody else with another kind of expertise to join your team and guide you through those decisions, which is why he was able to recognize that for certain activities, he needed people with 30 plus years of experience in the market. And those decisions and his ability to recognize that alone he wouldn't be able to do this are what uh, allowed Neon to keep growing the the way we have. Well, Neon is certainly an impressive company, and I'm sure this this podcast is going to inspire several of our listeners. I, I wanted to close with just one last question for both of you. Uh, what are some some of your personal hobbies outside of Neon? We'd love to hear about that, that other side of your life. Sure. I'm actually looking at my watch now because uh, I have band practice <laughs> at 8 o'clock. So uh, I play the drums and a couple of us joined up to uh, start a band called Kings of Neon. And uh, I've been doing that kind of part time. And if it takes off, I'm going to have to quit Neon and become a rock star. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, aside from that, I love uh, playing all kinds of sports, uh, traveling, 
socializing. Uh, let's see, I don't collect anything like that, uh, but uh, I like running and cycling. We have a running competition at Neon where we log in our running distances and every month we, we see who is the winner. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm in this competition too, but I'm, I, like, I'm far below my fellow. <laughs> the guys run as crazy here. They're so good. So I think, so I just got married a year ago. So hobbies like uh, dinner with my wife. I have now five dogs. Um, that's also kind of uh, tricky too. And I'm running also. And I'm not from Sao Paulo. I'm from a beach city close to Sao Paulo called Guarujá. So I'm, every weekend I, I, I try to go there and uh, spend some time at the beach. So that's the way I think I can relax a little bit. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Pedro and Marcelo. This has been inspiring, and I look forward to hearing a lot more from Neon.